I'm a space freak. And I know that the most important thing that black women are going to do, and this is, I'm saying it crudely, but it's nonetheless true, the most important thing is that black women are going to prepare our, and it's going to be our grandchildren, may even be our great-grandchildren, to go into space, to live into space. Because we are the only people who have adjusted to life under incredibly difficult circumstances, Mm -hmm. and yet we continue to love. I would recommend, if you don't have anything else to be, you know, this morning or this afternoon, you should be a black woman. I I just think it's the best thing. Thank you for joining the program today, which features the second half of our conversation with poet, activist, and teacher, Nikki Giovanni. I'm Lily Terrell, the Community Outreach Archivist at Emory University Library, Stuart A. Rose Manuscript Archives and Rare Book Library. And you are listening to Rose Library Presents Community Conversations, a series of interviews with people connected to our collections. Ms. Giovanni visited the Emory University campus in February 2020 as the guest poet for the 20th anniversary of the 12th Night Revel and as featured poet in the Raymond Donowski Poetry Library Reading Series. In today's episode, we conclude Rose Library Instruction Archivist Gabrielle Dudley's interview with Ms. Giovanni. So in thinking about, uh, along those lines, in thinking about our current social, political, economic, and environmental moment, do you think writers have a responsibility to write about our contemporary times? I think writers have a responsibility to write about things that interest them. And uh, some of the things don't, I laugh, uh, because right now, of course, if uh, Hitler had married Satan, you know, their son would be, you know, Donald Trump. And (laughs) you don't have any any problem with that, you know. But I don't think that, that you as a writer, have an obligation to write about something that doesn't interest you. I think that you have to look at what what does your generation want to talk about and what's interesting to you. I'm a space freak, and I know that the most important thing that black women are going to do, and this is, I'm saying it crudely, but it's nonetheless true, the most important thing is that black women are going to prepare our, and it's going to be our grandchildren, may even be our great-grandchildren, to go into space, to live into space, because we are the only people who have adjusted to life under incredibly different, difficult circumstances, mm-hmm. and yet we continue to love. Mm. It, it's we're incredible. I, I I would recommend if you don't have anything else to be, you know, this morning or this afternoon, you should be a black woman. I, I just think it's the best thing. I agree with you. Um, so, in thinking about black women and black women writers, especially, who are some of the writers that have supported you during your career, sustained you as a woman, a friend, a a fellow writer? Uh, I think that we're all mostly kind to each other. There are some writers that I don't know and some writers actually whose work I don't like. But my generation, I'm right in between everybody. So I was fortunate enough to know and and to be a friend of uh, Margaret Walker. And, of course, For My People is uh, just an incredible, I remember first reading that, just an incredible poem. Of course, Toni Morrison, who's going to come up right in that period. And uh, I remember reading The Bluest Eye, the first time I read The Bluest Eye. And uh, I lived in New York then, and she worked at Random House. And uh, I've never taken the subway because I don't understand the subways. And I'm, I'm geographically challenged. And I really wanted to meet Toni Morrison. So I lived on 92nd Street. And uh, Random House was down on, on uh, the 50s, and I walked down. I was in my 30s, so I could do that then. And I walked down to meet, to meet Tony, and we became friends, and that, that's really good. Uh, I love the work of Nina Simone, and I was up at Michelle's bookstore. Mm-hmm. And everybody, if you wanted to see anybody, you go to Michelle's. 
if you wanted to really talk to anybody, you go to, there's a place called McHale. It's no longer existing uh, on 90, uh, I think it's 94th. Now Whole Foods has taken over. But if you wanted, for example, to see Sidney Poitier City, was a close friend of McHale's. So if you wanted to see any of the actors, you went to McHale's. But I, I was at my shows, and, and, and Nina was there. And, you know, it's like, oh, it's Nina Simone. And and I was shocked. And, and I said, hi, I'm Nikki Giovanni. I write poetry. You know, it's one of those. <laughs> and my mother was coming to visit. And I said, and Miss Simone, my mother is coming to visit, and we're fans. And if you're not busy on Sunday, you know, I'm having a party. And, you know, Nina was just like, oh, yeah. I said, well, and I gave her my address, and I said, we'd be thrilled if, if you can. But I didn't. I never expected, and the people were there, and the doorbell rang, and it was Nina Simone, and Nina and I became friends. So you meet people, and, and uh, we supported each other. You've got uh, here, you've got John Oliver Killens. Well, we recruited John to Fisk University, and John had the big um, uh, arts festival, and that was the first of the big arts festival. Very, very important. That's how you met. He was then Leroy Jones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people changed their names. I didn't change my name. The name is hard enough. <laughs> Nikki Giovanni is hard enough. You know, <laughs> forget about changing. But that's how we met uh, Leroy. And uh, his sister became a, a friend of ours. And, of course, Caroline uh, Franklin, who was Aretha's baby sister. Mm-hmm. And uh, Caroline lived in the village. And, you know, you got to know people. One, because I was born in 1943, so it put me right in the middle of the youngsters and the oldsters, as it were. I'm a baby sister, too. And I recently had the um, honor, actually, ESPN, the magazine, invited me to write about Serena because we were waiting for Serena to break the one more, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I was trying to think, well, what am I going to say about Serena? Because they could have asked a sports person to write Mm -hmm. about her tennis. And I thought what's important about Serena is that she's a baby sister, Mm -hmm. which means that what's really important about Serena is that she has one of the best big sisters, because Venus, you know, knocked all of those weeds down. But when Serena came through, she didn't have to be bothered with that. She had a big sister to hold her hand. And I think that, I I like the article, you can look it up, but I think it's still, I think it's important that we recognize baby sisters follow big sisters, Mm -hmm. and we want to make our big sisters proud of us. So when you start to look at who is doing what, 90% of the time, you're looking at baby sisters are really breaking out, doing something that uh, everybody says, well, why didn't the big sister do it? Well, no, big sisters, make they clear the path. It's the baby sisters who come through. You've had a very successful career as a writer, and I know that has taken a lot of um, a talent um, and perseverance on uh, your part. Do you have any thoughts about um, why you think your words and your voice have resonated with so many people for so long? I like people, and I like storytelling, and... I like myself, and I'm relatively sane, so I think that's what I bring to the stage. I don't think my job is to tell people what to do. I think that my job is to share what I know, and I think that some of that resonates, that uh, when I, when I, whether it's a classroom or whether it's an auditorium, people forget that the enslaved were not uneducated. They were undegreed, and it's important to remember that so that the youngsters here who are in school. We want you to be degreed. We fought about you having a degree. We want that. But we want you to remember that we, too, were educated. We, we knew what we were doing. We would like for you to have a degree so that you can, there's an uh, old song, you can, it's called Jacob's Ladder. We are climbing Jacob's Ladder 
every round goes higher and higher. And that's what we're doing. We weren't stupid. People try to act like, well, the slaves were stupid. That is just not true. The slaves were undegreed. And if you keep that in mind, as you get your degree, you don't become a fool, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> You've talked about uh, this idea of writing children's books, which um, are gorgeous and I think uh, something that more people are starting to pay attention to this sort of um, idea of young adults. What do you think the charge is for, for people that are writing to these young adults today? I think, again, you have to be interesting and you have to decide what you want to share. You were hearing stories before you were born because your mother was, was the, oh, my baby. I think one of the worst things that's happened to, to women, period, is that we now know what the gender of the child is. It was way better when you didn't know so you could talk to it in a general sense. And I think that's why my generation, which was probably the last of, of that who didn't know, I think that's probably why we came out so strong. And our mothers sang to us. Mm. And again, in the old days, and I don't want to sound like, such an old, but in the old days, our fathers sang to us. When they came in from work, and they were usually working two jobs where they were being underpaid, they're going to sit down with our mothers, and they sang to us. So we had all of this coming into the world. And, and now we're missing a lot of that relationship. So a part of what we who write should be doing is sharing that. And uh, that's why I love Ashley's work so much. And that's why I love Brian. I was fortunate to work with Brian Collier. It's why I love the people who are drawing because we, we, we drew before we could really talk. We had crayons and we would draw. And what you say to your, your daughter and your son who's drawing is, oh, that's a lovely drawing. I really like that. And you put it up on the refrigerator, mm. right? And I think that things like that are important to let the kid know these are steps. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. This is what you're, what you're doing. And so writing children's stories, it's, what, it's, it's, a, it's a part of telling children, this is what you have to be careful if you go through the forest. If you go down in the woods today, be, be, what does that be, Kathy, to, to, to not go alone? And I think that children's literature is the foundation. I think you need to know not to be afraid, mm -hmm. that, that life is interesting, and, and you're going to live it. Tell me about the best piece of advice you've received from a mentor, what? or maybe even something <laughs> uh, that you would tell your younger self about writing or about the world. I, I think that, that it's a good idea, life. And I think that that's what I've, I've done. I'm, I'm not big on, on ideas, and uh, I say it all the time, but it's true. I hate opinion. I absolutely hate opinions. Anybody that knows me, and I don't have that many friends, you know, I have very little, anybody that knows me at all knows I am not interested in your opinion. And if I am, I will ask you. I don't give an opinion, and I don't take it. Because <laughs> <So>, <laughs> you start listening to people, and they don't know what you're trying to do. So I, I, I think that, again, that's my advice, because people would think, oh, and I do remember one person said, oh, you'll never be a writer because nobody's interested in what you're doing. Hmm. And that's one of those, thank you, I... Golly, I didn't know that. And I thought, if I've learned anything, I've learned don't listen to a fool. <laughs> it's so basic. And so you go on, because what, what can happen? I'm, I'm going to, what, starve to death? You know, but then there's an old blues song, isn't it? You know, my mother told me before she passed away, said, girl, when, when I'm gone, don't forget to pray, because there'll be hard times. Mm -hmm. And the second verse is the one I love. I soon found out what she meant. One day I had to sell my body just to pay my rent. Talk about hard times. Mm -hmm. 
as long as I can sell it, at my age, I could I could stand on the corner and get something. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And and people try to act like, oh, you know, you, you can't. Of course you can. And you have to remember Jesus, who was the first person Jesus came back to see? Mary Magdalene. So don't have me any hypocritical crap about, you know, what you think I should be doing. I should pay my rent. Mm. Some of it is, is physical, but some of it is emotional, isn't it? You have to believe in yourself. And that's not arrogant. That's just to say you just, yeah, our mothers tell us, don't forget to pray. So I'm not sure what to pray means. I know it's not now I lay me down to sleep. I think it's something everybody should explore, but we in the black community particularly need to explore because we have continued to learn to pray. It's, it's carried us through 400 years, whatever pray means. This idea of prayer, uh, what um, sort of prayer in the black community, I think is a, a real correlation between sort of how spirituality continues to like resonate in black communities. Um, and you've written so much about blackness. Um, where, where do you think we are? As a people, like black people, where do you think, like, what's the next frontier? I don't know, but I, <laughs> I, I think it's a good idea, I say, to be black. I, I'm going to recommend that. And I think that we've done a really good job. We have fought for the Constitution. And I've said it before, and I'm not against uh, one of my best friends and someone I love very dear is not black. But black people have done, I don't want to say all that we can because there's always something more. Mm-hmm. But we've done so much to save the Constitution. And I think it's time the white people, you know, stepped up. It's time they did their job. You know, and from, from Jane Adams telling John as he's going to the Constitutional Convention, don't forget the ladies. And you have to remember that they had slaves. So I know that standing in that kitchen, her slave is saying, Miss Adams, now don't, don't forget, you know, slavery is bad. It's, it's bad, Miss Adams. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she didn't. She passed it along saying that white women should be able to vote. She passed that along. It took a long time before they got to that. But look at Martin. We fought for the, we were fighting for the Constitution. And I watched those people on stage the other night. Uh, uh, of course, Trump is just evil and, and, and wrong. But I was watching them, and they're saying, I want to be president. Well, why? Hmm. What, what are you offering us? Not what job are you going to give us? Not none. What, what, what is your moral universe that you're going you're gonna to lift us up to, and us being United States? What are you going to do to stop this, this foolishness, to stop white boys from being afraid, and, and it is a fear, to stop the cowardness of white boys who come with guns into churches and shoot people or into schools and, and, and shoot children? That's mm-hmm. a cowardness. Mm-hmm. And when are you going to call it that? Am I making it? And I, I just think that... Uh, the Constitution is important, and I think the white people ought to fight for it, or they're going to lose it, because I know one thing, whatever happens, we've been through it. <laughs> there would be no shocks. <laughs> and, and black people weren't shocked when it was, it was Donald Trump. Black people, yeah, we knew that all along, <laughs> yeah, some fool out. Mm-hmm. So other people have to do their fair share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we, We've carried our water, and it's time for them to put some seeds in, in the ground. I love that. Um, so I guess as a, a final question or in closing, what's next for you, Miss Nikki Giovanni? I don't know. I've been working on my, my new book is, is called Make Me Rain, which is an old jazz song, and I, I really love it. And the book will be out in September. It's, it's finished. And that's why my hair is so short. I wanted my hair short for it. But there's always a poem hanging around. You know, it's one of those things. And so on my computer, which doesn't like me and it messes up a lot, but my computer has a folder now called The New Book. 
and it has the poems that are just kind of dropping in. And I've got about five poems in the new book, and so we'll see where it goes or how it goes. And I think, you know, I'll probably write. I, I, I don't, I was laughing with my, my class, I'm still teaching, and I said, I don't know if they're going to find me in the classroom and I fell over and dead, or sitting by a computer and I fell over dead. But one way or the other, you know, one day I'll be dead and I won't know it, so you'll see me still trying to get some work done. <laughs> so, you know. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on this inaugural episode of the Rose Library Podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Community Conversations is produced by Loli Tarot and Nick Twimlow. Jacob Chisenhall is our editor. Music created by Sister Sai. We are grateful for the support provided by our colleagues at the Rose Library, Jennifer King, director of the Rose Library, and Yolanda Cooper, dean of Emory Libraries. Special thanks to Nikki Giovanni for her words and insight and to her partner, Virginia Fowler. Also to Gabrielle Dudley and to the Emory Center for Digital Scholarship. Please join us next month as Rose Library Assistant Director and Curator Randy Gu interviews Dr. Jesse Peel. For more information about Rose Library and our other podcast series, Behind the Archives and Atlanta Intersections, please visit us at rose.library.emory.edu and follow us on the Rose Library Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find Community Conversations and our other podcasts on all your favorite podcast feeds.